I'm pulling up my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today, or this, uh, today's a continuation of my Fate Reforged podcast. I started last time, and I talked all about sort of how it came together. Uh, so today I'm going to get to the cards. I, I have more story to tell, but I usually like to tell that story while going through the cards. So we're going to start today with Abzan Beastmaster. We always start with A. I always have a lot of A's, because usually I have lots to say in the beginning, and I, I, I have a whole podcast of A's half the time, and then I start zooming through the alphabet a little bit faster. Okay, Abzan Beastmaster is a green card. It costs two and a green. It's a 2-1 Hound Shaman, because um, there are Enochs, I think, that they're, they're uh, dog people. Um, by the way, at the beginning of upkeep, you draw a card if you control the creature with the highest toughness. So one of the themes that was going on in green um, is caring about toughness. And so this is a good example of a card that does that. Um, one of the things that we try to do when we make sets is we map out the archetypes, usually the two-color archetypes, but when they're, um, there's a wedge set, then it's also the three-color archetypes. So in this set, we want to make sure that um, you either are playing a wedge color, three-color, or playing a two-color, um, wedge being the priority. But the idea was we wanted to make sure that different color combinations had different facets to focus on, so even if you were playing the same wedge, that there was some variance within the wedge. Like One of the things to realize is when people draft a set, um, not everybody drafts a set, that's some, some people do, but the people that do draft it, draft it a lot. Um, that, you know, uh, a dedicated drafter could draft a set 30, 40 times. And so one of the things we do to make sure a set's fun for the drafters is make sure there's a, a, enough depth, that a, there's a lot of options that you can do, that when you're drafting, there's different ways to go. And so part of that was, okay, we're doing a wedge set. Let's make sure every wedge has different facets to it. So, it, you know, there's, there's clearly a theme each of the wedges definitely had a certain style of play, a push toward, but we wanted to make sure there's little things going on. Also, we wanted to make sure that you could draft two color if need be. Um, the two color we pushed in um, Constantar Kier, so Constantar and Fate for Forge had it, was pushing enemy two color. Because the idea when you're drafting wedges, start by drafting enemy, and then you have two options to go into. It's the same reason that we moved Dragons of Dark Here from being enemy to ally is we wanted to make you just draft completely differently. And so um, there is an enemy focus that goes on here. Uh, like I said last time, there was one cycle of enemy cards. They don't really fit when you draft it. With, so there are cards that make a lot more sense when you draft it with this set than the next set. Um, we didn't do a lot of them, just a little bit, and we stayed away from three-color cards altogether. Um, you, you can, when you're playing Dragon's Dark here, it is possible to play a two-color enemy deck, but it is very hard, um, and so we didn't do too much of it here. Um, but anyway, this is a good example of a theme, caring about toughness. It's something that kind of was an Obzon thing and centered a little bit in green, um, but one of the things that's neat is Obzon had a way of building itself up. Um, Outlast, which was a mechanic that was in cons, got put plus one, plus one counters on it. Bolster, which is a mechanic that shows up in Fate Reforged, and Dragons put possible counters on it. So this clan is all about building up, and so caring about toughness is one way to do that. Okay, next. Abzan Kinguard. Three and a green, so a green creature, four mana. Three, three, human warrior. It has lifelink if you control a black or um, white permanent. Okay, so this is another Abzan card. Starting with AB. Um, so this is a good example. I talked about this, but this is an example of a card that does this, where, okay, the card feels Obzon in that it's green, and on the card it says white, and it says black. All, all three of the Obzon colors are referenced on this card. Wow, it, it feels very Obzon, but 
The secret is you don't really need to have white and black cards. This card really, on some level, I mean, it's not hybrid exactly, but it has a similar quality hybrid, which it says, oh, I need a white or black card. This card is just as powerful in a green-white deck that, as it is a green-white-black deck. In fact, maybe slightly, well, depends how many white and black cards you play. But if you played an equal number of white and black cards or white cards, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Um, notice, by the way, that the ability it grants is an ability only granted by the shared color. Green normally does not get lifelink, but black does and white does. And so, by ha- so this is one of the things from time to time people will point out cards that, like, you know, I'll say green doesn't have lifelink. They'll go, but what about Abzan Kingard? And my answer there is, whenever you see lifelink on a non-white or black creature, what you will notice is either it requires a colored activation or it requires you to have a particular color, um, meaning that it's not an inherent green thing. Now, I would admit, if lifelink was going to go on the third color, not that I want to put it on a third color, green is probably where I would stick it. Green has a... a green is a, another color that cares about life gaining after white, and so... Um, it being in green is probably where you want to stick it if it's a third color. But anyway, um, there's a good example where this is not proof that green's supposed to get lifelink. This is a proof that white or black have lifelink, and you need to have white or black in your deck to be able to access it. Um, I did like how this... Th- these cards were nice in that they were pretty simple. They had a flavor of the three colors, but that we could put them... We could put them in a place where you could make them for limited, and that, that was pretty cool. Okay, next, Abzan Runemaker. Let's get through some Abzan cards. So Abzan Runemaker is white. It's cost two and a white. It's an enchantment. Uh, oh, sorry, Abzan Runemark. I read that wrong. Abzan Runemark. Uh, there's a cycle of Runemarks. So it's two and a white for an enchantment. It's an aura. The enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and then you get vigilance if you have a black or a green creature. Um, so here's something that's interesting here. Um, that This one, uh, the Runemarks were done slightly differently. Um... So the creature said, I get you access to something you don't have if you have the right color. What the rune mark does is it says, okay, you get plus two, plus two, and then I grant you an ability that's in color if you have one of your allies. So the interesting thing is, while green has vigilance, black doesn't have vigilance. Black doesn't get vigilance. But white gets vigilance, so it's a white rune mark. So the rune marks all grant you plus two, plus two, and then an in-color ability if you have... um, you have uh, one of the ally colors, not one of the ally colors, one of the wedge colors with you. So this is white, so it's Obzan looking for black and green. Okay, so you might ask, why are the two cycles different? Why does the rune mark have an in-color um, ability and the creature cycle have an off-color ability? Or off, yeah, off-color ability. Uh, the answer is, well, if we wanted to make both, for example, let's say we said, okay, it had to be an in-color ability. Um one of the things that you would have to do is be careful not to repeat. And it's tricky. Uh, getting 10 abilities that are... Like, for example, um, I probably... I don't, know, I don't know if the two cycles ever repeat. It's the kind of thing where they could if you shift them off colors. Um, but anyway, it's just one of the things when you're making cycles that have a similarity to them, you need to do something to change them up a little bit. Obviously, one's an aura cycle, one's a creature cycle... Um, but both of them are granting abilities when they're the correct colors there, and so we just needed to play them up a little bit differently. Um, I'm not sure what... I, I don't quite end up knowing how it ended up... I think the creatures got made first, is my memory, and then we made the rune marks later. Um, but one of the things that was important was the idea of just having enough things that sort of 
we wanted there to be a flavor of the clan. This is the, 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 the proto-clans, but the clans are there. The clans exist. Then when you go back to the time of Sarkin's Choice, um, the clans are there and the dragons are there, and the idea is only one can... Only one is going to stay. Are the clans going to stay or are the dragons going to stay? Um, are the clan, uh, clans... Are off the, road. The, the clans, in the sense, the, the Khan-run clans. I mean, I guess the dragons take over the clans, so the clans say. But um, either the Khans or the dragons. You know, we'll, we'll get to, to the cards where you actually literally choose Khans or dragons. But that's kind of the, 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 the point right here. Okay, next. Abzan Sky Captain. We're not done with Abzan just yet. Um, cost three and a white, so four mana for a two-two bird soldier because it's an Abzan, it's, a, it's an Aven, um, and it is flying. And when it dies, you bolster too. So let's talk about bolster. So bolster is an ability that says whenever uh, a bolster says it's, it's a keyword action. Um, so keyword action means it's a verb that says to do something. Uh, and so we make keyword actions from time to time that just say, okay, this is a shortcut to say something happens. So bolster was an ability. But what bolster says is when you bolster, put bolster N, put N plus one plus one counters on the creature you control with the least amount of toughness. If there's a tie, you as active player who's casting the spell get to choose where it goes. Um, and the idea here is a couple things. We wanted to make a mechanic that played nicely with Outlast. Um, and what we figured is the easiest way to do that was to mess around with plus one plus one counters. And the reason is Outlast puts plus one plus one counters on, but a whole bunch of the Outlast cards and other cards in, in the guild care about having a plus one plus one counter. So the idea was if we um, make a mechanic that generates plus one plus one counters, well, then it'll work nicely with the Outlast strategy because Outlast rewards you for having plus one plus one counters. Um, so we tried a whole bunch of things to put in plus one plus one counters. In the end, the problem we were running into was it, it's what we call a, a win more mechanic, where it's like, oh, well, you just tended to put it on the biggest creature, and so just the creature that was already a problem just got more a problem. Um, and that's when we said, oh, well, maybe. So one of the things in design that's very interesting is taking away complete control from the player. Now, there is this idea that, no, what the player wants is to have complete control. That's just better. That's just better for the player if they can choose everything. And the answer is, I talk about this when I talk about just game design in general, is the role of good game design is not to give the player everything they want. It is not to make things easy for the player. What you want to do is make the player have to make decisions and make choices, and that where the, the fun of gameplay comes from is not that you can always do what you want, is that you have to adapt with what you're able to do. And so one of the tricks about making game design is, you make mechanics and, and such, is there's a lot of fun game de- design where the, the player is forced to do certain things and then has to manipulate how they act to, to do that. So, for example, we found that bolster was kind of cool. We wanted to put it on one of the smallest things. Now, I think we toyed around with both power and toughness. That's why it's, that last podcast is hard to remember which was power and toughness because we had tried both. I think in the end we'd done toughness because Abzan was all about having high toughness and so... Um, and, and there was some fun w- gameplay where, so the, my point is, you have to manipulate what you have with toughness. You have to be conscious of it. Now, sometimes you bolster and just the thing that gets bolstered gets bolstered. But other times, you can plan ahead. You can go, oh, wait a minute. If I do this and then don't cast that yet and do that, you know, that you can help set up some of the things. That you have some control. But the key is you don't have total control, and that's really important. That a bolster would just put, bolster end would just put end counter target creature it's not particularly an interesting mechanic. It's like, okay, what's the biggest thing that's get or the thing that's getting through? I'll just make it bigger. But now, now you have to consider. Now, you know, I've definitely seen players like sacrifice something so they can get something 
get the counters on another creature they really want, or they go, okay, well, we get the creature on this thing. You know, they, they coordinate what, like, this you have a bolster one and a bolster three. Well, you bolster one on the thing you care less about, so it gets out of the range, so the thing you care more about becomes tied for the lowest toughness. Stuff like that. Um, but anyway, as I said, I, I talked about this last time, we made the mechanics, the new mechanics in Dragon's Arcade Design. So, Favor Forged was given manifest from exploratory design, and all the other new mechanics, which ended up being dash and bolster, weren't made by the Fate Reforged design team. Um, they had execute mech cards that used it, uh, and one of the, the one of the challenges of both dash and bolster was we knew that they were going to show up in the next set, so we wanted to kind of do the the basic version of it. The, the goal wasn't to sort of do the most complicated version. It's like introduce it, do the simplest stuff, and remember that we were trying to play up the idea of this is, the pre- this is the past in which things are a little simpler and we see them evolve. So in all the mechanics, we wanted um, the past to be slightly less evolved than the present day. Okay, next, Inoc Guide. One in a green for a 1-1 Hound Scout. So the Inocs are our um, dog people that get introduced here. Uh, okay, so when it enters the battlefield, you choose one. Do you want a plus one, plus one counter? Or do you want to search your uh, library for a basic land and put it on top of your library? So an interesting decision. I have one and a green. I can have a 2-2 creature, which often is very good. We've learned that, that the grizzly bears is often in, in, can be a, a fine creature. Or, or, instead, you can use it to guarantee that your next draw is a basic land. So it's like it's a 1-G-1-1 that can fix your mana. Or if you don't need to fix your mana, just be a 2-2 a, a creature. So... We made a cycle of these. We were trying to get across, like I, I, I talked about this last time, we were trying to get across a choice theme. And one of the ideas we liked a lot is, um, are you beefing it up and making it stronger? So you always can choose a plus one, plus one counter, or a general effect that early in the game you might want to have. Or not, not even early in the game, an effect you might want to have. This particular effect is, particularly, is better earlier in the game. Um, but there are reasons later in the game sometimes you'll do it. Sometimes you're just deck stating. I'm low enough that I want to just get my land on so I'm drawing my better cards. Okay, next, Alicia Who Smiles at Death. So Alicia Who Smiles at Death is a red creature, costs two and a red. Um, she's a legendary creature, human warrior. She's a 3-2 creature with first strike. And when she attacks, um, you can pay uh, two hybrid mana, white-black hybrid mana, so white, white or black, white or black. And if you do, you return a creature with power two or less to the battlefield attacking. So, um, from the graveyard. So the idea is, she is in, um, Aisha, uh, Alicia is in, uh, Mardu colors. She's red, base red, but white and black. Uh, and Mardu is about attacking with lots of small things. So the idea here is, every time she attacks, if you spend white or black mana, you can attack with a small creature. And so the idea is, if she goes in a deck with lots of small creatures, she can keep every turn bring up more small creatures. And it doesn't matter if your opponent kills some of the small creatures, she gets to keep bringing them out. Uh, and she has first strike. She's 3-2 first strike, so she's a little harder to block herself. Not impossible, but a little harder to block. Um, so this is a good example of, we made a legendary cycle that had the hybrid. Um, the idea is, these things are supposed to guide you. That says, what are your strategy? What are you doing? And this is just reinforcing that. Now, the tricky part of this is you wanted to do something um, that in the hybrid that either color could do. So it's a red card, creature with first strike, uh, that's fine. The ability to animate something and attack with it, um, the two colors that do the most animation out of the graveyard are white and black. But white usually has a restriction that it gets back small things. 
So the idea of a fact that only does small things, okay, white does small things, black does all of it, so small is an acceptable subset, okay, it makes a cool card. And once again, this card works if you're putting it in a Mardu deck that has access to red, white, and black, or it equally works in a red-black deck. So when you get to dragons, if you're playing um, red-black, you can easily put this in your deck. Okay, now the coolest, the coolest part about this card story or has to do with the story. Um, one of the things that happened was that the creative team realized um, that there was a good opportunity to tell a story they wanted to tell about a trans character. Um, and so we wrote a story. So uh, Uncharted Realms is the short story. So we, we've been starting to tell our, our stories through Uncharted Realms. Uh, novels had not been real effective. And so what we found is short, free short-form stories have proven to be the best. That people didn't want to buy, didn't want to buy, and Slack didn't want to read long novels. So now we're telling the story in smaller bursts. It allows us to make it easier to read. We can change perspective a lot more. We can jump around and tell a lot more stories. And this is a perfect example of the kind of story we could tell that a novel would never be able to tell. So the cool thing was um, one of the members of the creative team named James um, has a, a daughter who's trans. And so had very first, was able to write a story, a very personal story, where he was able to get a lot of firsthand sort of um, understanding. And anyway, we wrote the story. So in the history of Uncharted Realms, currently, as of this recording, this was the most read story we've ever run. Uh, it got a lot of press. I mean, there was a lot of attention about it. Um, just not a lot of uh, fantasy games have uh, even a trans character. I understand this is not a, a, a giant character, but it was something that we couldn't center a story around, and we saw an opportunity to tell a story that was organic. And, and that's another important thing is, one of the things I know the creative team has been working a lot on is making sure that people who play the game see people who are them within the game. That is really, really powerful. And so it's something that, that, that all Wizards has done. I mean, creative team is... The, the crux of the responsibility is on them. But we want people to be able to see themselves in the game. And we've been working really hard. There, there's more room to grow. We're c- continually doing this. We're try- I like to feel every year we're getting better at it. Um, but Alicia's a great story of, of, of an attempt to do that. And that with this, the response was so positive. It was insanely positive. The amount of mail that everybody got, that I got, that, that it was really nice. And so I, 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 I'm a firm believer, and I mean, this is something that Wizards is... is has bought into, and, and it's important to us, is we want people to be able to see themselves in the game. It is really powerful when you can play and you can see someone that is you. And so in every level of that, there's so many, that means so many different things, but we are trying really hard to be able to do that and do more of that. Okay, next, Alicia's Vanguard. Three and a black for a 3-3 creature. It's an orc warrior with dash 2B. So let's talk dash. So dash was the other mechanic that we made in Dragon Turk here that got pulled back into Fate Reforged. Um, the funny thing was we really liked Raid. Raid had a lot more um, design space. We thought we were going to do Raid. We actually thought we were going to make a new mechanic for Red-Green. Um, but two things. I mean, we knew we had to do White-Green. Uh, we knew we had to do um, Obzon because we just there wasn't enough design space in Outlast. It was cool, but it just wasn't that deep. Um, we knew that we wanted to do more Prowess and more Delve, which meant that either we did Black-Red or we did Red-Green. Um, at first, we thought we were going to do red-green only because Ferocious was the we, we knew it would be the least well-received of the five mechanics and cons. Uh, and ha- I mean, it has design space, but it's I don't know. It's just the one we're like, oh, you know, that maybe we'll replace that one. But one thing we realized was, um, a we made that da- dash was the very first mechanic that I made in um, Dragon's Care design. Um, and the funny story about it is that well, 
I, I guess I'll tell the story here. I mean, I'll probably retell it a little bit and drag the story here. But um, we were given an assignment to make a red-black mechanic, and both um, I and Sam Stoddard, independently, like without turned in the exact same mechanic at the same time for the same homework assignment, which was Dash. Uh, I think we called it, I called it Blitz, I believe. Um, but anyway, we were looking for something, for Black Red, we were looking for something that um, played well with an aggressive attacking strategy. Um, anyway, we made it, we loved it, and then we realized that if we, if we had done Green, White, and Red, Green, then Green would have no mechanic that it already knew. That like like every single green thing would be new. I'm like, oh, well, if we did black red, then black red and white green don't overlap. And then fine, blue wouldn't get anything new, but four of the five colors would, and every color would get something old. Something would be repeated. So we ended up going, and we liked the dash mechanic a lot, and knew it had a lot of design space in it. So so let's talk about dash. The, the neat thing about dash is it does a couple different things. So um, I was inspired directly. There's a card called. Um, Viashino Sand Scout, um, which was a creature, I think I have the right name, it's from Mirage, Mirage Block at least, um, where it's a creature that just you attacked with it every turn and then went back to your hand. And the idea was, what if we made a creature where that, that you could opt into that? So the question is, why would you opt into that? Well, um, this card shows the first reason to opt into it. It's a 3-3 that costs 4 mana, but for 3 mana... Um, so the idea is, if you use the dash cost, you get it. You it gains haste, so it can attack right away, and it goes back to your hand. Um, so the idea here was, okay, well, for four mana, I can permanently have a three-three, or for three mana, I can have a three-three. Can attack right now. So in turn three, I have to make a decision: Do I want to? And let's say I have nothing else I have to cast. Even if I'm planning to cast this turn four, I, if I have nothing else to cast turn three, hey, I get three damage in. So that is where Dash started. Dash was like, okay. I have a creature that I can pay less to attack earlier. But then we discover that Dash actually does a bunch of cool things. That there are reasons you might want to pay more for Dash. Why would you pay more for the Dash? And the answer is that there's times in which you want the creature back in your hand. The easy example is an enter the battlefield effect. Where let's say I do something, I generate some effect. Well, the idea is if I use Dash, I get to do that again. So maybe I'm willing to pay more because I want the returning back to my hand is not a negative, but a positive. And that, that is one of the neat things about Dash. We'll, we'll talk more about Dash. I'll get some other Dash cards as we go along. Okay, next. Ambush Crotique. I think I pronounced it. K-R-O-T-I-Q. Uh, five in the green for a 5-5 five, five insect uh, with Trample. And when it enters the battlefield, you return another creature you control to your hand. So one of the things, um, blue gets to bounce anything, gets to take a creature and put it back in its owner's hand. White gets to bounce its own stuff, reactionary as a spell. And green gets to bounce its stuff as a cost. The fun thing about this is that it's neat in that, um, for example, five in green for a five-five creature is nothing. I mean, this ability is costed kind of neutrally. Um, you get a maybe you don't get a five-green five-five trample. Maybe you're saving a mana or two. Um, but the cool part about this, much like I just talked about with Dash, is sometimes the returning things. It's cool that you get to return them. For example, if you have a Dash creature that you played without Dash. Um, you could bounce it back, and now you can dash it if you need to. If you have a creature that enters the battlefield and bolsters, you can get that back. If you have, um, you know, th- there, are, there are a lot of ETB effects, enter the battlefield effects you might want to get back. 
Uh, it might be I made a choice because a lot of choice decisions in this set that I chose one thing, but now I want to choose a different thing. You know, previously I made my creature a little bit bigger, but now I want the spell effect. You can do stuff like that. Um, and so this just played into the general theme that we wanted. Um, and it was stuck on mono green so that you could put it in different in different clans. Different clans would use this ability differently. Um, okay, next. Archfiend of Depravity. So Archfiend of Depravity is three black black for a 5-4 demon. It is flying. And the beginning of your opponent's end step, um, they have to choose two creatures they control and sacrifice the rest. So basically what this demon does is it only lets the opponent have two creatures in play at a time. I mean, they... They get it for their turn. They can do dash and do haste things. But then at the end of their turn, they only get to keep two creatures. And so... And the fun part about this card is demons have this nice flavor of making your opponent have to make tough decisions. And this is pretty... This is like a cool decision. Like, you can only have two creatures. Which ones do you want to keep? So it was very demony. I like that. Um, I think I talked about in Kanta Tarkir that originally we weren't going to do demons. That the only demons were going to be um, the, the cat demons. Um... And then eventually they decided that we didn't have enough of the Iconics in, and so Demons came back to figure out the way to make Demons work. Okay. Atarka, World Render. Five red-green, seven mana for a legendary dragon. It's got flying and trample. And whenever a dragon you control attacks, it gets double strike. Okay, so one of the cool things here was trying to... Um, this was a cycle. It was a rare cycle of legendary dragons... These were the dragons that were going to become the dragon warlords. So we met the Khans in Khans of Tarkir, who ran the clans. Well, once Sarkin goes back in time and changes things and the dragons aren't extinct, the dragons are going to run the clans. And so we want to introduce you to... So one of the tricky things was, I think the past is like 1,300-some years in the past. And so there's not a lot of creatures... One of the things we had originally wanted to do was do a lot more direct, like, here's young version of the creature, here's older version of the creature. But the problem we ran into is, well, 1,300 years is a long time. There's not a lot of things that live 1,300 years. And basically, we came up with uh, two things, or a few things. Like, the idea was, well, a dragon, at least. Dragons live a long time. Dragon can live 1,300 years. I mean, Nicole Bolas is like 25,000 years or something. I'm very old. Um, And so... We decided that we would do... We, and we knew that when we did them in um, Kanzatark here, we wanted to blow them out a little more. So what we wanted to do here was introduce them, but make them less special than they'd appear in... Um, Kanz, uh, sorry, in Dragons of Dark here. So first off, we made them rare instead of mythic rare. We knew we'd do them a little bit splashier in the big set. We also wanted to make them a little bigger, so we tried to make a, a smidgen smaller so you get a little sense of growth. Um, so, for example... Um, Tarka is... Where's the Tarka? Um, is... What size is the Tarka? I didn't write down the size. Uh, he was a little smaller. I think like a four, four, five, five. But he gets bigger. I think all the ones get bigger in their, their, their um, Dragon's version. The other thing that we did was... I think all of them grant an ability to your dragons when they attack. So all of them kind of encourage your dragons to attack. Uh, and then does something that's in color for... Um, kind of both the clan it sits in and, well, both the Khan clan and the Dragon clan. So the idea of Double Strike, um, I mean, Double Strike, obviously, Green doesn't normally grant Double Strike, but the style of play that both the um, Red, Green, uh, Blue deck played in, uh, in um, Teamer and the Red, Green deck when you got to the, uh, the Atarka clan, if you will, um, made sense. That it's something that you'd want. And it encouraged you 
it was something where we knew as you got more dragons later on, as, as, as the dragon thing happened, that this card would go up in power, that it would be even better when there were more dragons. Um, we also were trying to save a little bit of space. One of the problems we had was we knew that we had to make a whole bunch of dragons in the next set. So we cycled these dragons out to, 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 to chew up less space. Because if we had made, each one had its own unique flavor, it would be harder down the road to make more unique dragons in the very next set. Okay, next, Avon Surveyor. So three blue-blue for a 2-2 bird scout. It's an Avon. Flying. And when it enters the battlefield, you can choose. You can either put a plus one, plus one counter on it, or you can summon a creature. So it's for five mana, what do you want? A 3-3 three, three flyer or a 2-2 two, two flyer that acts like a mana war that bounces a creature. Um, and those are both interesting effects. You know, sometimes you'd want one, sometimes you want the other. So it made a cool and interesting choice. Um, the other thing that was fun is, and there's a little bit of a bounce theme, I just talked about that in green, that sometimes in this set, um, because of the choice making, because of some of the things, you occasionally will bounce your own things. Not too often with this card, but we, it was open-ended so that if you wanted to feel clever that you could, that there's opportunities for you to do that. Hey, I finally get a B! I'm, I'm not too far from work, but uh, the number of times I've done a podcast on a set and, and I, I don't even get past A, although I guess that's a large set, this is a small set, so maybe with a small set I get all the way to B before I get to work. Okay, next is Battle Brawler. One and a black for a 2-2 Orc Warrior. Um, and he gets plus one, plus O, oh, and first strike if you control a red or white permanent. Okay, so this is another example of the cycle of creatures that get better. Um, so the idea is, this is a Mardu creature. It's a black orc that requires red or white. But once again, come, um, uh, it's a Kolagon tribe when you get to um, dragons, and that's black-red. Okay, well, in general, what do you want? Well, the idea is, th- this is a 2-2 creature. So by the way, it's so funny. In, uh, in Ishrod, we had a fight tooth and nail. There's a giant fight of whether we can make a, one, a 1B2-2 zombie, a vanilla zombie. Um, and now, it's one, ble- one black 2-2 that, oh, by the way, could be a 3-2. <laughs> First strike. So, um, so the idea here is that um, uh, black traditionally doesn't get First Strike. I guess it's tertiary in First Strike. Um, way back when Black Knight had First Strike, and so there's just there, there, uh, a lot of people work on Magic or Old Timers, and so there's just, there's just fond memories of black with First Strike. It's not really supposed to get First Strike. We Every once in a blue sort of it's grandfathered in, and then every once in a blue moon, usually it's night-themed, but, uh, but anyway, normally it doesn't normally tend to get it, so here, if you have red or white, those are the colors that have first strike, so um, it, it, it is peaking for you there. Um, it is something to notice, like, while green doesn't have lifelink, I said that green's the color that probably would most next get lifelink, uh, first strike's another example where black, mm, it's number three for first strike, so this cycle definitely sort of paid attention to what it was given the color, so that, like, it wasn't exactly in the color, but wasn't completely out. It was, it was closer than other abilities. Okay, next. Battlefront Krushok. Four and a green for a 3-4 beast. So Krushok is, uh, is a beast. Uh, it can't be blocked by more than one creature. So it's five mana, four and a green. Uh, and then creatures you control with a plus one, plus one counter also can't be blocked except by one creature. So this is what we call the stalking ability. It's the reverse of Menace. So Menace says... Unless, you know, I'm so scary that you can't, uh, you can't block me alone. The stalking ability is like, I'm sure the flavor here, it, it, it's just that I, I can only be blocked by one creature. Uh, I, um, 
I'm, I'm sneaky enough and running through the forest or something that, that, that only one creature maybe is able to find me and block me at a time. I don't know. Is that the flavor? I don't know what the flavor is talking is. It's a green ability. Um, so this is another one that played nicely with both Bolster and Outlast. Um, it's a theme we started in cons that continues here in Fate of granting abilities to creatures you control with plus one, plus one counters. And the idea is I have a bunch of ways to get plus one counters on creatures, and then now they have an ability. And this ability is they get the stalking ability. Okay. Next. Blood, Fire, Enforcers. So three and a red for a 5-2 human monk. So this is just guy got monks. Uh, it has first strike and trample as long as you have an instant or source instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. Um, so this is kind of funny. Uh, there's a lot of creatures that gain abilities if certain things are true, but usually it's color in this set. But one of the things that we were trying to do with the Jeskai is that they are the spell-based. They were the, the, the Wedge clan that most cared about spells. They had prowess as their ability. Prowess is on. A prowess cares about non-creature spells. And so um, this one cares more directly about instants and sorceries, but a lot of the non-creature spells that prowess cares about are instants and sorceries. And so this thing is, okay, you want to be playing enough instants and sorceries that you can get one of each in your graveyard. Well, if you're playing prowess creatures, you kind of want to do that anyway. So it's just playing into the theme um, of, of trying to give you something that you can do to help make your creature better, but using a way that's thematically tied. Okay, guys, I have arrived at work, and I'm late for a meeting, so um, I have to quickly wrap this up. Um, obviously, we got to be which means that we, this will be continued, um, and I have more podcasts to do, probably multiple more, on all the different cards of Fate Reforged. But anyway, guys, I hope you are enjoying our, our walk through it. It is fun looking back at sets, and Fate Reforged in particular was a great set. So anyway, I'm now in my parking space, so we all know what that means. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys soon.